Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Tales of Recovery. My name is Gris Alves, I'm your host, and my guest today is my beautiful friend, Mary Bird Godwin. She's going to share her story on recovery. She is a blogger, a social media strategist, a single mom of two tween girls. Yes. Woo! Oh my gosh. And Mary and I go way back. We played volleyball together in high school. Yeah. Um, and those were some good times. So we haven't seen each other in a long time. Yeah. And I'm excited to hear what's happening with you. So tell us, tell us, tell us everything. I'm so excited <laughs> to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me here. Uh-huh. And it was so fun to connect with you, with you and to connect on this level of recovery. Yeah. You know, I won't date us, but you know, 20, close Something to 30 years ago. Years ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's the alternative. Yeah. Yeah. We're alive. Yeah. We're alive. And, and now we can like connect on this and, um, uh, this is probably my most favorite subject to talk about right now. I've been sober for two years and 10 months. Yeah. Uh, first day of the year in 2016. So, you know, I tore one on on New Year's Eve and um, <laughs> for the last time. And, you know, I was one of the drinkers that um, I started at a young age, 13 or 14, and I loved it. Fucking loved it. Yeah. And it was like an appendage <laughs> to me. And I loved it from the first time I tried it. I rated my parents. Uh, liquor cabinet. It was like creme de menthe and Kahlua. I mean, two disgusting things, but I just, uh, you know, I was with goofing around with a friend and discovered the alcohol cabinet. And speaking of that, you know, my parents uh, like to drink a lot. Um, yeah. I would say my dad was an alcoholic, um, a functioning, high functioning alcoholic that he was a successful lawyer. You know, he had his shit together on the outside, but, um, He loved his booze and, um, on the outside, you know, everything was all wonderful. We went to this private school and everything was really, you know, fancy cars, fancy this and that and social gatherings and they were in the paper. And then on the inside though, you know, there was a lot of, um, no physical abuse really. Um, not that I remember, I heard that there might've been before I was born, but a lot of emotional abuse and like screaming and yelling and, and this rage that would come from my dad and I felt that, um, I would cower at the top of the stairs, listening to my mom and my dad fight and walked in on my mom, you know, packing to leave many, many times. And, Mm -hmm. um, when I was a tween teen, I just, you know, kind of realized what alcoholism was. And I knew that he was an alcoholic and I kind of hated him for that. Um, as I got older, he stopped drinking when he had health issues and, um, we were able to have a really good relationship before he died, which totally derailed me. And I kind of jumped all over the place, but In high school, I discovered it at 14. I had a grandma who died of alcoholism, died alone. Nobody liked her. Every story about Grammy Elaine was that she was a wicked, mean bitch, Mm -hmm. and she died drinking, Um, and her husband had divorced her. And I had a sister. I had so many family relatives, and I knew what the word was, and I knew alcoholism existed, and I made jokes all the time right. that I was like, oh, I'm such an alcoholic, yeah. fucking pour me more. You know, I was like the female version of Frank the Tank, I think, from old school. You know, it was like, I think one of my first drunks, I ended up going to the hospital. I partied at a friend's house and it's like this night full of shame for me. Mm-hmm. And I just, instead of, my parents just kind of slapped me on the wrist and they were like, don't, don't do it again. And didn't really, I'm not blaming them at all, but I just didn't have any repercussions. I got mm-hmm. away with everything and I... I did what my parents did where I put on this face and I put on this personality and I was like, everything's cool, but I would drink everything away yeah. and drink the shame away. And and I found friends that loved to drink and um, 
I went to a college, UC Santa Barbara, where drinking was, you know, like breathing air. Yeah. (laughs) It was like another major. Um, And then I got in the entertainment business, which was like, then drugs came in the mix and it was like game on. And, um, but I maintained that functional thing. I still, you know, I played volleyball. I was on on ASB and I did this and that. And I always had, um, I could put on that fake front. I could hide a hangover really well. Mm. I perfected the way of like, um, you know, mixing and matching and making sure I didn't have too bad of a hangover or having a good excuse if I did. And I could manipulate everyone and everything around me to like fix my drinking. Mm-hmm. And, um, then I became, I got married and, um, had kids and then became the mom on the, so the, the parting at bars and stuff then became drinking wine with the moms, you know, in the cul-de-sac. Yeah. <laughs> and, I would drink with them, but then I would go home and drink two more bottles of wine. Mm-hmm. And I was just, I, I, towards the end of my drinking, I just couldn't get enough of, I couldn't drink it fast enough. And I couldn't, and um, my husband and I ended up splitting up in like 2014, I think. And that was a really good excuse for me to, and in early, I was in my early 40s. I had two daughters that were young. Um, but when my kids would go be with their dad, I would go get blackout drunk crazy wasted with guys I was on I discovered tinder it was all fucking shit show that was just gnarly and I was acting out in the craziest ways and I just remember starting to pour alcohol earlier it would be like I worked from home and then it would be like you know five o'clock would come I'd pour some wine and then four three and I remember thinking like why am I pouring this I don't I'm not going to a party I'm not doing any there's no nothing right. to celebrate I just could not not pour it mm. And a lot of things happened. I always call them like the Oprah whispers. I don't know if you ever watched Oprah, but she'd talk about like those whispers that we get in our head that are like, you know, something's going on. And Mm -hmm. um, when I was drinking, so many bad things happened to me from the night of the hospital to, you know, fights with people because I started to become like my dad and I would scream and yell at anyone and everything around me. I was super fun party Mary until someone crossed me and then it was like oh no you fucking did not and I would turn into my head would spin you know like the Mm. movie exorcist and I would spew venom out of just um I just didn't care what I said I just wanted to cut people their core it it was just what I knew from growing up and hearing my dad do it to my mom you know Mm um kind of all over the place but I um you know it was just such a big jumble but I there was so much fun and good stuff. And I remember thinking I am an alcoholic. Like I said, I'd say it as a joke, but I would say to myself, I will never not drink. There will never be a day that I will not have alcohol because I love it too much. I couldn't imagine living without it. Mm -hmm. And, um, so the craziness happened. Oh, I did lose my dad when I was 29. And that was a perfect excuse for me to become belligerent drunk all the time. Had the perfect cocktail of Chardonnay and Ambien, pass out drunk and um I just I didn't even really grieve because I just I fell apart and um even though my dad was kind of you know that alcoholic in my youth he was also my pillar of strength and I ended up having this really close relationship with him after he died and it was it just rocked my core and I didn't know how to handle it so I you were 29 when I was 29 Mm -hmm. is that when you wrote the book about him yeah well a couple years later after that I was so grieving And I was like, I got to help people through this because I don't, I needed help. And so I did start a book. I collected stories by women who had lost their dads. And, um, 
It's funny now that I'm in AA and I, I, I likened this book almost to the fact of AA where I wanted this community of women who had gone through this experience to hear each other's stories mm -hmm. and to feel the pain of what it's like to lose a dad. And to know you're not alone. Yeah. yeah. And um, what's interesting is that when I ended up getting sober, the first year of sobriety was so much like the grief I felt when I lost my dad. I had the same pain and I cried excessively all the time. I went, every single meeting I went to my first year, I cried. You I cried all. feeling it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll get to recovery because that's really my, my favorite part. But um, that last year of when I was just debaucherous and crazy, I'd go back to new news with this guy I was dating. And, you know, that's where I went in my 20s. And now here I'm back in my 40s. And um, he was nice, but he was a little bit controlling and absolutely not someone I would normally have dated. Um, but I would find myself with him at this bar and I remember we would like always fight invariably would, we would fight or he'd say something dickish and I'd go to the bathroom and I'd look in the mirror and I'd just look at myself and cry. And mm. I was like, how did I get here? And then I'd wipe my tears away and I'd go to the bar and order two more drinks. Mm. And I was just like, fuck it. I just had the fuck it. Yeah. And the cycle of like, oh, feeling so low and depressed and dark. It was such a dark place for me. And I was like, I'm never going to be able to get out of this. So I'm just going to drink like that's just, and I, I had so many high hopes, you know, like growing up, I just, I wanted to be so many things and I had such good intentions for my life and the person that I wanted to be and the woman I wanted to be. And I thought that I was those things, but really I would lie and cheat and steal and not give a fuck if I was hurting you, if you got in the way of me and my booze right. or, um, <clears throat> That's how it worked. Yeah. yeah. I took myself to so many dark places and I was just not a very kind person. And this guy and I would fight. And he is actually, um, I would say one of the biggest reasons I'm sober because he called me on my shit. And he, we would fight all the time when we were drinking. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> and he would be like, you can't yell at me like that. Like, no one's ever freaking talked to me like that. And I'm like, fuck you. You don't fucking deserve it. And you're with me. I fucking curse. So what the fuck? I mean, that's... And I would just tear him down and curse and yell and raise my voice. And um, I would do it to my girls, too. My daughters, they were little. And they were afraid of me. I mean, I was super nice and fun and cool mom. And then I wasn't. And then they did something wrong. And I remember going to my closet one night and crying, and I thought of that Mommy Dearest moment. Like, do you remember that movie, The No More oh, Wire oh, Hangers? Very many Mommy Dearest moments. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm oh, sorry. I know. I still have them in recovery, but they're so less exaggerated, and they don't last for long, and they're not as demonic as that. But, mm -hmm. um, And I was like, I'm my grandma. I'm my Grammy Lane. I'm, I'm single. My husband's divorcing me. I mean, we divorced for a lot of reasons, but I know in retrospect, my alcoholism had a lot to do with yeah. the breakdown in communication. I would, we would always say we could, we can't talk about serious issues when we're drunk or hungover. Well, that was all the time for me. I was either drunk or hungover or searching my next drink, you know? Yeah. Um, so he, this one fight, he, he yelled at me for drinking too much. And then he actually, cause I would try to drive my car. I was starting to drive drunk. Mm -hmm. I was start, I got lost in Rancho Santa Fe. Like, and I, found cigarettes in my car. I picked up smoking again because I was drinking so much. And I was like, the next morning I didn't know how I got home. I don't, you know, like 
Things like that were happening where I didn't remember putting my kids to bed. Uh, I left the burner on my stove one night. Mm -hmm. I had gone to light cigarettes with some girlfriends, spent the night after book club, which was just really get drunk club. Yeah. And I saw the, the burner on and I'm like, oh my God, that's not okay. Like that's the dumb shit I used to do when I was young. But when I'm a mom of two young girls, yes. like that stuff is not okay. And so all those things were hitting me. And then this guy wrote basically an intervention letter and he's like, I'm going to go give this to my, your mom because she needs to know. I'm like, my mom is 85 years old. Like, please do not. And how dare you fucking call me an alcoholic. Yeah. And deep down inside, it was just like burning, burning, burning. And then New Year's Eve, we got in a fight and he recorded me yelling at him. And I was like, that was that. That's all I needed. I needed to... I just woke up that next morning and I had one of those moments that people might hear about in, in, um, you know, I didn't really have a relationship with God. I had the spirituality. I wasn't really Christian necessarily. I was raised Christian, but I, I had this aversion to like religion, re organized religion. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't resonate with, um, Jesus and the thought of like dying for your, like that just didn't connect with me. Yeah. But I did have this belief system of like a, a universe and a, and a source of love and light. That's what I called my religion. But I didn't really, I was drunk, too drunk all the time to like hear it or pay attention to it. But that morning I said to this guy, I said, um, you know, I'm going to say something out loud. And as soon as I say it, I can't take it back. And he was like, you know, you cheated on me. You got the <laughs> but, recording. The yeah. Recorder. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, yeah, he should have recorded that. But, um, he, he basically said like, um, I said, I'm an alcoholic and I need help. And I like looked up to this source energy and he somehow knew what to say. And I asked him later, like, how did you know what to say? And he's like, God, just talk through me. And it was just like, God's going to get you. And even though I didn't know what that God was at the time, like I just felt this weird peace come over me. And I was like, I'm never going back. Like I could totally ball just talking about that yeah. moment because it was just like the most powerful right moment of my whole life. And I, I knew that when I said it in that way and I was like, and I need help. I cannot do this alone because it was everything to me. You know, it was like there for me when I was happy, sad. I didn't even need a reason. Yeah. It was just my constant. So all these things fell into place. And my sister had gotten sober 17 years before me. She's 17 years older oh. and she got sober 17 years before me and she had gone to Betty Ford and she did the whole AA thing. And I had good friends from high school. I reached out that day. I just started messaging people that I knew were sober. And I was like, Hey, I think I need to quit drinking. I need help. And I just put it out there. And my sister was like, okay, you know, you just need to surrender. And I was like, fuck you. I don't even know what surrender means. You know, <laughs> everything I said was fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> but I really wanted it so badly because that darkness, it was so painful. And I, I wanted that life for my kids and I wanted to be able to provide that. And I knew that I had it in me, you know, and like our high school volleyball coach is like people like that in our youth that were like instilled in me this thing that I could be something better, but I was just, I didn't need to have, I was shackled to the bottle and I was like, I need to break this chain and did I'm like, detox? I went to, uh, I didn't need to detox necessarily. I didn't, um, I didn't drink enough. I think they kind of checked me to say I wasn't at risk for a seizure. Mm -hmm. 
But I did go, I found a program where I could go um, Monday, no, every day of the week for 21 days and nine to five so I could come be home with my kids at the end of the night. Okay. Um, and I went and I just surrendered. I was like, I'll do whatever you freaking tell me to do. And I ate that shit up and I was like, you know, star student, you know, I'm like, I did my step one. And one of the counselors, like, he's like, this isn't for a grade. Like, you know, you're not getting an A or on this, like, this is a life. But I'm an achiever. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> and I wanted to like be teacher's pet in the, you know, but, um, and then somebody told me, you know, Hey, go to, well, I went to an AA meeting in Hillcrest actually, and it was so awesome. And I went with a friend of mine from high school. So my friend that I reached out to from high school, he lived in New York and I had seen him the summer before and he's like, Hey, guess what? I'm nine years sober. And I was like, what, what does that even mean? Like, what do you mean? You don't drink. <laughs> and I picked his brain cause that's right when all those whispers were starting and yeah. it was starting to plant the seed. And so he was my first call actually. And he's like, Hey, I'm coming to San Diego next week. I'll take you to take you to a meeting. I'm like, yes. And his mom, his stepmom is sober. Actually, both his parents are sober, and I knew them from back at Parker Days. Mm -hmm. Am I supposed to say that? Well, whatever, it's out of the bag. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> um, so I knew them, and they took me to this meeting, and um, I sobbed the whole time. And I everything that people said, and here's like old people, young people, black people, white people, gay, straight, did not matter. Everybody said my story. And I was like, yes, yes, tears streaming down. And um, I shared at the end and um, it felt like, oh my God, I'm home in this weird, crazy way. I just felt like, oh my God, I found my people and I found this place and I'm gonna be okay. And one thing led to another and then I went to that recovery and they told me to um, do 90 and 90 when I get out and I said 90 meetings in 90 days yeah yep. and I was like you're freaking crazy like don't you know who I am I'm a single mom of two kids I work full-time like there's a fucking way that's gonna happen <laughs> and as soon as I thought that <clears throat> I thought to myself no that's the old thinking that's the kind of yeah. ego like I'm too good no this if I want to get sober I'm gonna do what they tell me yeah. to do so I made it work. I went to 90 meetings in 90 days and I shared at every meeting I went to because someone else told me that too. They said, you know, that's how people get to know you. That's how it takes power out of what you're going to, what you're feeling on the inside. Yeah. Yeah. And it's helped, it helped me get to the truth and, and find this like authenticity that I was like, not this person, like, you know, you'd mentioned I'm a blogger and I had a blog for years and I was fairly authentic on the blog. I mean, I was authentic on the blog. I was very open about my issues, but like I didn't ever talk about how much I drank and how much I hid, right. you know, and that was the side of me that I kept secret. So in these rooms, I was like, nope, I'm all laying all it out. And um, I, um, I, I found so much joy. I found this group of women up. I live in North County, San Diego, and um, I got my first sponsor, you know, they said, get a sponsor, go to 90 meetings in 90 days, share at every meeting, do a gratitude list every morning. I did everything. These people told me I got commitments at meetings. I was like making coffee for 40 people, bringing water bottles to this meeting with 200 people, like yeah. schlepping coolers of fucking water <laughs> and ice. And like, I don't want to be doing that. Whatever it takes though. Whatever it takes. In there, it's whatever it takes to stay yeah. in this new, like... Yeah, I had to change everything. And I really... I was so afraid that I was never going to go out again. I was never going to have fun again. I was never going to live again. 
but at least I was going to still be sober and not, you know, yell at my kids or drive drunk or kill someone. So I was just pretty much resigned to like, I couldn't even go to Burger Lounge, like the local spot. Cause I used to go there and get three Chardonnays in a matter of 30 minutes. You know, I couldn't even, everything reminded me of alcohol, but I just, I, I had faith and I had hope for the very first time in my life. I had a hope that, um, that something better was going to come. And I, uh, day one day at a time, that's the phrase, all those dumb AA sayings, they're so powerful. They really are. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And, um, so I, I had that sponsor. I worked all the steps. Um, I was going through a divorce at the time. Um, my kids were young, like, um, maybe five and seven or something like that. No, seven and 10. And, um, it was hard and work was really hard. Oh, and I work for, um, companies. I do social media and it's like, I had to look at pictures of alcohol all the time. I had to go to bars and hold glasses of alcohol. Wow. And I would literally, um, have like my meeting people in my mind. And I would, I left a couple events and I just went and found it. Like I was in LA one time and tears started to come down my face in the middle of this big party. And I was like, I'm out. I got to go. And I found a meeting. I went online and I went and Googled AA meetings in the near area. And I was one five minutes away that had just started. And I'm like, I'm there. Mm-hmm. And I found that place that's like my medicine. And um, slowly but surely, like things just started to change in my life. And the chaos that had been my life, um, everything was hard. Like making my bed was hard, you know? And... After you got sober? No, when I was drinking. And now, you know, I still kind of have PTSD when I plan something like for nine in the morning. I'm like, I'm never going to get there. (laughs) But I can get there. And I can like be up early and I can be dressed and in a good mood and not hurting. Yeah. And I can, you know, today I have like four things planned and I was a little bit nervous about getting every one time, but I can do it now Mm -hmm. because I'm not drunk or hungover. Or, you know, in that frenzy and that chaos and that circle of madness. It's amazing how much healing starts to happen when you're in a room and you're just talking about... Mm. I remember in the meetings that I would go to, if I started talking shit about anybody else, whoever was leading the meeting or anybody would just scream out loud, tell me about you. Yeah. I'd be like, no, but I want to talk shit about this, but how about you? Yeah. So it was a constant looking into me, into my pain, into my reaction, into my perspective so things that I never did before, it was always just like numbing the pain, blaming everybody else. 100%. So in, the, in these rooms, and that's why I don't, I mean, I have these women's groups now where we just do moon ceremony meditations. Mm-hmm. And not everyone's in recovery, but it's the same healing <coughs> mode yeah. of everyone's going to share. Nobody needs to answer or talk or give advice. You just share, you just listen. Mm-hmm. And to have that space, that's when the magic happens. Yeah, right? it's a these safe space. Are, Everyone should go to meetings. I agree. Not no, I agree. I mean, I really wish... Find a meeting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have a friend going through some gnarly stuff, and I'm like, oh my God, I don't know what, you, what program you need to find, but just find one. Yeah. I don't know, Al-Anon or whatever. Like, find yeah. one because there is a safe... It's something so safe and um, special, and it's magical. And that's the presence of God. That's like, yeah. when you feel it, and there's people, there's energy that shifts in a room, and um, someone shares from their heart, and you just feel their pain, and it's like... Someone the other day, like I was sharing, I have not been in the best space lately, just um, stress and life and 
you know, it's freaking hard work basically. Like even when I get sober, life as a single mom is not easy. So I was feeling pretty pummeled and a little bit like, a little bit in pity party, you know, that's that space from my old alcoholism days, like it still feels comfortable to sit and like, you know, I'd go when I was We're drinking. Still human, right? right? Not drinking, but still. Right. Yeah. I remember when I was drinking, I would like love to go get loaded and get my bottle of wine or three and like put on Adele, and I would just like sing it and just be all dark and moody and like think, you know, oh, no one knows my pain. <laughs> But I, now, you know, I still, so I'll sit a little bit in a pity and I'll be like, you know, um, nobody knows what it's like to be me, but it's so ridiculous. And you go to these meetings and you hear other people's pain and other people sharing their joy with you too is really important in meetings and people take tokens for time and it's like, oh my God, they can do it. And they just, someone shared last night in a meeting, you know, she saw her daughter die. Her daughter died 15 years ago and she was in an accident and she walked through that sober mm. and to hear the women, uh, walk through that. Oh, I just thought of something I wanted to share that was really important. One of my very first meetings, I saw a woman take five years, a token for five years. And on that day, her best friend had died. Um, so she was taking a token for five years and she was very upset. And, um, the woman giving her the token said, said something. I literally think this was my fifth meeting or something. I don't know. But I sat there and um, she said, what we as women do is we get to walk through life with dignity, ease, and grace. And those three words hit me so hard because that's what I wanted in my mind. That's what I had hoped for in my heart. And that's the woman I wanted to be. But in my drinking, all of those things eluded me. I had no dignity when I was loaded on a table in a bar, you know, falling down drunk in an alleyway, sleeping with whoever, losing my phone, screaming at my kids. Mm -hmm. I had no ease. Like I was saying, making my bed was hard. Like everything was hard mm -hmm. because I was fucked up. And grace, like none of that. And in fact, I, you can't, nobody, the listeners can't see this, but in this room, there's this beautiful... Um, art piece that just says grace in big letters and you know I named my middle daughters that name and um, that word is so beautiful amazing grace is one of my favorite songs mm -hmm. and I just didn't have any of that because I was always yelling or pissed or in a bad mood and I was entitled to be those things you know in my drinking right. we are so entitled to feel that way because mm -hmm. she crossed me and she did that and like you were saying it's everybody else's problem mm -hmm. and in recovery I get to find like work through the steps is like my part in things and I get to go slow and I get to invite God into my space and my my world and in my day and I don't have to jump down people's throats I can like listen gracefully to people and say okay you know I, I see your I see your point I could never do that never I was right and everyone else was fucking wrong and that was the end of the story um so hearing that dignity ease and grace I was like that is what That's I want cool. and then that woman led that meeting and, and I cried, I shared and I cried in that meeting and she slipped me a piece of paper before the end of the meeting as she was leaving, she had to leave early. So she slipped me a piece of paper and it had her phone number and it said, um, you know, pour it out your eyes and not down your throat. Oh. Cause I had bawled in the That's class awesome. and talked about how I was crying and I was like, yes. And she gave me her number and I called, I called her that night and she's still in my life. We now actually share the same sponsor. 
Um, and I get to walk this journey with her. And it's because I, I first got myself to the meeting. Second, I heard the message. Third, I shared. Fourth, I made the action of calling her after she gave me her number. Because not everyone takes that last step of making the call because we think, oh, we don't want to bug people or, oh, we don't have anything to say. But those first, that first year, like doing the uncomfortable things, I was so uncomfortable all the time. Yeah. I was so not in my skin. Even the second year, sorry to anyone listening that's in their second year of recovery, but <laughs> it, it still was really hard. Just this third year has been a place where I'm starting to feel comfortable in my skin. Mm-hmm. Um, but like do those, doing those things that you're like, I would never do that. But that's when you do it. As yeah. soon as we think, I'm never going to do that. That's when you got to do that thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's a contrary action. Yeah. And it's so, <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever met people that support you more or understood me more than at the meetings. Mm-hmm. Even 25 years after we, when I stepped into my first meeting, we got a call from a friend like three or four days ago. And by the way, my husband and I met in NA, so but he, you know, someone called and I'm like, it's kind of late. Can we call you later? Like, well, I have somebody here. He wants to check in. Can he talk to your husband? I passed them the phone and it was like, he lit up mm-hmm. and it's like 1130 at night. Yeah. You know, we got kids who are tired, but when you're telling somebody else that you found that you can live life on that's terms with peace, with grace, peace and dignity, then yeah. Sharing yeah. it to someone Sharing else is like, the best thing ever. Yeah. yeah. It's really, um, I mean, it's, it's just so magical and it's so hard to fathom in the early stages of recovery that any of this is real. I mean, I just would listen, yeah. but the, but I had the hope that it was real. You know what I mean? Like I got, I was like, oh, that's nice. They found those things. Like the, the, <laughs> ninth, the, the, the promises that are in the big book, like you're promised mm-hmm. to live this way and that way. And I was like, that's never going to happen for me, but I'm just going to keep coming back because <clears throat> I, you know, maybe, maybe it might happen for me. Hope. Yeah, there was hope. Mm-hmm. And there was this one woman who I met at a meeting and she's like North County guru of AA. And I met her uh, again at one of my first meetings and she gave me her number and I did text her and she kept texting and she would end all of her meetings or her texts with sobriety rocks. And I wanted to throat punch her. <laughs> I was like, that is the fucking worst thing I've ever heard. Anyone who says that, I don't want to know you. That's just the cheesiest thing you could ever say. And she started, had started a meeting, which I found out later called Sobriety Rocks in North County. And there's every day at 9 a.m. And then one at Saturday night. That's the one I went to where I took the water commitment. Mm-hmm. 200 people go. And then sure shit, 90 days later, I'm taking a token there. And I'm like, you're right. Sobriety Rocks. Yeah. Like... It really cool. It's it's like it's cool. It feels so good, mm-hmm. and that grace and dignity and um, clarity and integrity, having integrity. Oh my god! Yeah. And when you're doing the work, you know it works if you work it. That's exactly right. So it's it's hard work, and that's that's the thing. Like that's what the work is. When they say it, it's it's simple, but it's hard work. Because it's hard. It's not like hard like you're shoveling snow or, you know, doing a math problem. It's hard because it's against the grain of what naturally feels right. It's calling people. It's taking the call at 1130 or making the call at 1130 
when you think you want to drink, right. it's hard to make that call to say, I'm going to call someone who's going to tell me I can't take this drink. <laughs> you know, that's a hard move to make, but that's how we stay sober. Yeah. And it's going to meetings even when you don't want to and, and yeah. arranging your schedule and getting, you know, I had to ask for friends, neighbors and friends to help me the first year when I went to a meeting every day because I couldn't do it. I had to have friends pick up my kids from school, take them to school, take them to dance, pack lunches, like feed my kids because I had to put recovery first. I chased the recovery like I chased my booze. Yeah. And um, yeah. I'm so, I'm so freaking grateful. And I just, I see it working in other people and I feel it working in myself. And um, I don't ever have to feel that way I felt on that last night of the year or that morning waking up. Or the mornings I woke up not knowing who I was next to or where my phone was or... Yeah. Oh my gosh. Is this, and it's, the recovery kind of spreads out. Like, how are your daughters? Oh my God. They're yeah. so awesome. Good. I'm so glad you even asked that because that is... I've been really honest with them since day one about what's going on yeah. with me. I think that's key, yeah. And, um... You know, they actually started to, sh like, sleep... Take turns sleeping in my bed when I first got sober and, like... I was at my meetings and everything was just kind of weird. So for, for kind of safety and comfort, they would share taking turns sleeping in my bed and they still do. And sometimes they both will. And my, one of my daughters the other night, she's 12 and she just said, I'm so glad mom that you, you know, you're in recovery. And she's like, you don't just learn to not drink. You learn like all about life. And then you get to teach us. Wow. And I'm like, where is this wisdom yeah. coming from? And They'll even say, hey, mom, you need to make sure your phone is on, not on silent so that in case someone needs you, they can reach you, like your sponsee. Um, and, you know, they're just, like, there's these teachable moments that I have with them about um, being honest and being yourself. And, you know, I don't know what their path's going to be, right. but at least, um, you know, they know that being sober is an option. I didn't know that it was an option right. because... All of my parents, everyone I saw was drinking all the time. So I didn't know that living a life of sobriety was even an option. Or I, that it rocked. And that it rocked, yes. <laughs> <clears throat> I just thought that I equated drinking with fun. <clears throat> and I always wanted to have fun. So, but now, I mean, um, I go to rock concerts. I go, you know, I travel. I went to New Orleans sober and it was so fun. And I was up late till three in the morning partying with the, the jazz bands. And like I said, I couldn't even go out to Burger Lounge three years ago <clears throat> or two and a half years ago. And now I can travel. I can, um, you know, Vegas is still a little scary for me. I might not go there. That was the other thing I did in my earlier recoveries. I had to change, you know, some, I didn't go to book club for a good year. I just didn't want to put myself in the position. Right. I wanted to just make sure I was safe. And I would go to bed sometimes at 5 o'clock with like a bucket of brownies. <laughs> I was like... Whatever it takes. Hey, whatever. <laughs> I, that was the other thing. I was like, I'm in the no matter what club. And I just don't drink no matter what. And, um, you know, I stayed close to my sponsor and to other... I got a... They called Bitch Buddy. I had like the sober squad. We had like yeah. a text chain of people that all had about the same amount of sobriety and we would text each other all the time. We'd be like, get your ass to a meeting. And, um, you know, we, we now have this posse of people that we all got sober at the same time and we go have fun. We, uh, we go to comedy clubs and, you know, yeah. um, different things. We go to dinner once a month and we can go have a good time 
And now I can be around my drinking friends and I don't care. I don't yeah. miss it at all. That was not the case for a good two and a half years though. Yeah. Like that's only a new thing for me where I didn't, I still see Chardonnay and it like calls my name, yeah. but I know I, I, I see it through and like the sip, the first like oh, moment of that first sip, you know, the really sexy sip at sunlight or sunset you know, out on a balcony, looking out the ocean, like it never, be, it never follows through. Whenever I see a movie or something with that scene, I'm like, can you take me three hours later? And what does it look like then? It's never <laughs> going to be enough again. It's never enough. Yeah. One is it? One, one's too many. One, I forgot. Yeah. One is not enough. No. One is too many and a thousand is not enough mm-hmm. or something like that. I don't know. But yeah, definitely it's not enough. And I'm definitely not of the, um, thinking that I could ever just have one. I know that if I want, I'm down again. And it's interesting to see, like, because um, I asked you, are you going to keep blogging? Are you going to keep doing, you know? And, like, because I remember watching your, your show. It was super funny. Very, I mean, you're awesome. Oh, thanks. Right? And just what you mentioned about maybe now changing the direction of your message. Yeah. This message is so powerful. Uh, and it's, and it's funny because now, like even, you know, I, I post something, Tales of Recovery on Instagram and all these yeah. people that I've met that are, they don't say sobriety rocks, but they're like sober as fuck. Yeah. And it's like, this that's my hashtag. new thing that's to, yeah. yeah. And it's a different, <clears throat> it's just a better way to live. It's super fucking hard to be a human. Right. Amen. You know? <laughs> Dude. And it's even harder when you learned that this is how your parents or your adult people coped. Because this is yeah. how you're going to cope. Because nobody uh-huh. wants to look at the shit. Nobody wants to see it. Uh-uh. You have to see it. Yeah. So is that going to be part of your new thing now? Maybe just yeah. showing people how yeah. to... Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. I took a break from blogging for a while. And blogging... Uh, my last year of blogging and vlogging... I did a lot of videos. And um, I couldn't stand the way I looked. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't look myself in the eye. And I couldn't see myself on video. I just was like... Well, first of all, I was bloated. Uh, I would call it the William Shatner bloat. Sorry, I was like really <laughs> bloated and face puffy, and um, I just really couldn't stand to look at myself. So I stopped doing that, and I would blog a little bit. <clears throat> but I, and then in my first year of recovery, first two years, I'm just like trying to find my voice, and yeah, like you're saying, I'm trying to figure out my message, and it's really of recovery. Yeah. But I want to tread lightly because it is such a personal thing. I really want to share, like you were saying in meetings, it's like keep it to. yourself right and so I want to find ways to share my message and I do think that alcohol abuse to some degree is very prevalent in my age range with moms you know we have it freaking hard it's not easy and so a lot of us numb the fuck out we drink to escape to escape we don't want to hear the kids crying anymore we don't want to handle it anymore let's just go away with our wine bottle and I know that so well, but I know the peace and the joy that I have now is so beautiful and so powerful, so much better now. And I'm not putting my kids at risk anymore. You know, recently some, the kids' friends, they wanted to come over and spend the night at my house. And I was like, absolutely come over. That made me so happy that they wanted to have, be at our house. And then I could look the parents in the eye and be like, yeah, I got your kids. They're safe. Because before when I had slumber parties, they weren't safe at my house at all. We'd go to the pool and I'd get loaded by the pool and that's really safe, right? Yeah. I mean, 
<laughs> so yeah, I mean, I think that that's where it's going to go. This is actually, you know, just talking about it today with you, it just helps me kind of figure out that this is a message that there's a space for out there. Oh, yeah. And um, I'm like all about camaraderie with people yeah. and, and healing, healing together and um, using using each other as sounding boards and as uh, a safe space to come because yeah. it hurts. It does. And, and the good thing about sharing is that people now know because you knew who to call, mm -hmm. right? You knew right. this person, that person. I mean, if otherwise, how are people going to know? Right. Number one, that they're not the only one that does this right. and that they're not the only one that struggled to call and get help and, and that, that there's life without booze. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. It's hard. But it's hard even if you're drinking. So if you're not right. drinking, then it's even better because you're there for it. You have a better chance. You're and it's present. present. And my kids, like, I'm up mm -hmm. at 9 o'clock at night with them, 10 o'clock at night, and we're doing things and we're talking. We're having the best conversations, yeah. you know? And I get to remember them now yeah. and and live in that moment with them. Because by 10 o'clock at night, I was blacked out. Yeah. Didn't matter where I was. It was just I was out. Yeah. In the, you know... So, yeah, it's what a beautiful gift. thing. What a gift. What a gift. Thank you for yeah. letting me be here today and yeah. talk to you. Oh, yeah. my gosh. You'll have to come back on. Such a blessing. We'll see what we can come up with. Yes, on. another topic. Yeah. I've got so many. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you guys for hopping on here. I, um, I always hope that whatever comes on here is a, a beneficial presence to the world. Mm. And I think it's obvious that you are, Mary. Mm, thank you. And so... Do you have one last thing you want to say? Or? Um, I would just say that, you know, there is hope and there is, um, you never have to feel that darkness and that dark place again. There's options and there's hope and um, there, there is a solution, as the big book says, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and we all have the strength within us to find it mm -hmm. um, and it's possible. Yeah. yeah. Ask for help. What yeah. an awesome gift this, this program is. Thank podcast you. it's fun yeah. yeah thank you all right guys well see you next time thanks for hopping on to tales of recovery peace and love and light <laughs>